All right, well, good morning once again. So good to see all of you. Hope you're having a wonderful weekend. Uh, well, I'm really excited uh, this morning uh, to be kicking off a uh, brand new series that we are calling the Pursuit of Rest. So we're calling a series that we're calling the Pursuit of Rest. And just like the, the title states, our hope and our prayer is that over these next several weeks that we would do just that, <clears throat> that we as a church, as a body, would not only learn how, but choose to pursue the kind of rest that God desires for us to experience. And also, like the title communicates, uh, this is a kind of rest that's going to require a certain amount of effort, some intentionality. The, to, to pursue something communicates work. And I know that seems like a paradox, that we would have to work for rest. But in light of perhaps the busyness of these past several weeks of the holiday season, but even more so, in light of the frenetic pace that a lot of us live our lives with, this constant sense of having to, to do more than time allows, this need to, to, to be busy, perhaps the, the tiredness, the exhaustion we might feel, our hope and our prayers that we would come to see that the rest that God desires for us is a rest worth pursuing. So for the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about things like Sabbath and silence and solitude, simplicity, and, and things like that. About a year ago, to this day, almost exactly a year ago, I was just beginning my three-month sabbatical that I was blessed to, to take. And uh, one of my goals during that sabbatical, just being honest, was to uh, get in better shape uh, physically, you know, to, to get healthier. You know, I was starting to get nagging aches and pains. My energy level was, you know, wasn't quite what it used to be. And I just thought this would be a good as time as any to, you know, to work on that and to, to get in better shape. So just kind of brainstorming is, is where to begin, where to start. And, and I remember hearing about Tom Brady's workout regimen. You know, he was only about two years older than me. He had just won a Super Bowl the year before. He was still playing at peak levels. So I went out and I, I bought the book, The TB12 Method, How to Achieve a how to just achieve a sustainable lifetime peak performance or something like that. I went out and bought the elastic bands, the foam rollers. I redid my whole garage, and I was motivated. I was excited to get started and watching the videos. And most of it was, was helpful, and it was you know, insightful, and it was fun doing. But there came times when I was, got a little discouraged, maybe got even a little frustrated, a little annoyed. And I just remember thinking, like, easy for you to say, Tom when you have a trainer at your beckoning 24-7 to give you these deep tissue massages before workouts, after workouts, before you go to bed in the morning, when you have these professional chefs living with you to prepare these plant-based meals, certain amount of protein and carbs and vegetables, when you have you know, just the resources for the, the training equipment that you have and the, the supplements that you encourage us to take, like easy for you to say, Tom, but even though it was a little frustrating at times and maybe even a little discouraging, it didn't change the fact that I wanted to get in better shape, that I still wanted to, to have a healthier body. 
And the reason I bring this up is because as we embark on this series, as you hear us as pastors talk about things like Sabbath and solitude and silence, there may be some of you that think, may think to yourself, like, easy for you to say, Eric. You know, you, you work at a church. You get paid to do things like Sabbath and solitude and silence. And, you know, you work one day a week. Like, easy for you to, to say. And while some of those things, you know, are, are true, not the one-day thing, but, you know, it, it doesn't change the, the fact that there is a kind of rest that God desires each and every one of us to experience. So as we embark on this journey, I want to make clear that this isn't us trying to get you to participate in another religious activity. But this is to help each and every one of us to discover the kind of rest that God desires for us in our own unique way. So today we're going to be looking at a passage in Matthew chapter 11. Now just to give you some some background in this passage, Jesus is addressing a fairly large crowd, and amongst the crowd there is diversity in terms of people's attitude towards Jesus and their assumptions regarding him. And in part of this crowd were the, the Pharisees. Now, it's important for us to to remember and to recognize that the Pharisees, that they weren't just the religious leaders of the day, but they were also the the cultural leaders. They were the social influencers of the day. Because Judaism, it wasn't just a religious thing for for them at the time. It was a, a lifestyle thing. It was something that regulated and influenced how they did community, how they did relationships, how they did business, social life, all of those things. And the Pharisees, for the most part, while they were curious about Jesus, while they may have been slightly impressed, for the most part, they were disinterested, even critical, even skeptical as to who Jesus was, and more importantly, what he had to offer. Jesus calls them out. He says, you were critical of of John the Baptist. John the Baptist fasted from food, he abstained from alcohol, he lived out in the wilderness, and you called him too radical, too extreme, you even said he was demon-possessed. And then here Jesus comes along, here I comes along, he says, and I I eat food and I drink wine and I hang out with people, and you say I'm a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. In other words, what Jesus says is that the Pharisees, they always had some reason, some excuse as to why They didn't need what Jesus had to offer. That they were the kinds of people who would see the miracles Jesus performed and think to themselves, wow, that's impressive. It's not for me. Not interested. That they were, for the most part, the people who seemed to have life all figured out. They didn't need a whole lot of help. They didn't need a whole lot of divine intervention. And Jesus calls them out for that. But then in verse 28, Jesus turns his attention to those who do recognize their need for more. Those who recognize that they they didn't have their life all put together or all figured out. In verse 28, 
Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Right, so here Jesus turns his attention to those he specifically refers to as those who are weary and burdened. Those who are tired and exhausted, not just physically, but emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Those who are discouraged and dismayed. Those who are feeling weak and vulnerable. And he says, if that's you, come to me. And what's so encouraging here is that while this invitation is, is technically for everyone and, every, and anyone, that Jesus specifically calls out those who are weary and burdened. That he's not addressing those who view themselves as the spiritually elite, overly religious, those with the least amount of imperfections or flaws, but to the ones who don't feel like they have it all together to those who are struggling just to, to get through each day. And Jesus says, if that's you, stop pursuing whatever else you're pursuing. Turn to me, redirect the trajectory of your life, and, and come to me. With the clear implication that he's not hard to find, that he's not hard to get to. And Jesus here is clearly implying to enter into a relationship with him a relationship where we get to know him and a relationship where we get to, you grow to trust him and to be fully dependent upon him. And he says, and I will give you rest. Now this idea of rest is something we're going to explore more of in, in the next several weeks. But here's what's important for us to, to, to recognize here at this point. I think it's important for us to recognize that at this point in Jesus' ministry, Nobody had any idea as to the kind of rest that Jesus is offering. Right? He says, to all of you who are weary and burdened, come to me and I will give you rest. Like, they have no idea if, whether he's referring to just like an extended nap time. Like, come to me, I have a resort right around the corner. You can come and take a nap and stay as long as you need to stay. Right? They had no idea the kind of rest he was referring to. They didn't know if he was referring to some kind of national revival, like, come to me, and we're going to take down Rome, and I'm going to reestablish Israel. You'll never have to work another day in your life. I will give you rest. I see none of them knew what, what he was referring to. Right? They didn't know, like we know today, that it would entail things like forgiveness of sin, peace, and reconciliation with God. Adoption as sons and daughters, and dwelling of the Holy Spirit, eternal life. Like, they didn't know that what he was also referring to. And thus for them to step into this relationship, them to draw near to Jesus, it required a certain amount of faith. Basically what each person had to say to themselves is, like, I don't know what you're offering here. I don't know what this rest looks like, but I know that I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I know that I'm weary. I know that I'm struggling. I know that I need help and I want more. And from what little I've seen so far, I've seen enough to know who you are and what you're like to realize that it's worth pursuing whatever it is that you're offering. 
And I think it's so important for us to maintain this level of openness and this level of mystery and uncertainty, even for ourselves today. Because even though we know so much more now than they knew then, even though many of us may have already experienced certain levels of rest, maybe we've done things like Sabbath and silence and solitude, that we don't assume that we already know everything that God is wanting to, to give us. That his rest is ongoing, it is continuous, it is evolving and expanding. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was um, just lying in bed, scrolling through my phone, you know, just going through reels on Instagram, wasting my life away. And um, this ad pops up, and it says, looking for individuals in La Palma for a six-week trial to get in better shape. Obviously, the TB12 method didn't work for me. It's like, do you want more energy? Do you want more muscle? Do you want to look better and feel better? Sign up for free. So I type in my name, and I input my email address and phone number, and I get a text, and I set up an appointment. <clears throat> And I, I, I walk into this gym, and I sit with the manager, and he's like, okay, here, let me tell you how this all works. Here's what you have to pay up front. Here is how it can technically be free. Here is what we guarantee. Here's what we'll do. Here's what you'll have to do. What do you think? And I was like, thank you so much for your time, but this is not you know, for me. See, Jesus doesn't do any of this. He doesn't explain to them, come to me and let me explain to you how this works. Here's exactly what you'll get. Here's what you'll have to do. Here's what I'll do. Here's what the benefits. Here are the costs. Here are the risks. Here are the consequences. He just says, come to me and I will give you rest. You see, Jesus is inviting us to receive something that needs to be received by faith. Not for us to decide or determine whether we need this rest or not, but to trust what he's saying, to trust who he is, and that what he's offering is something we need, something that is good and helpful to us. And then in verse 29, he says something interesting. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, a yoke uh, was a wooden collar-like instrument that was placed upon an animal, most of the times oxen, to, to carry, to drag, to pull something extremely heavy. And thus it's interesting that Jesus would follow up his invitation of, come to me, I'll give you rest, by then saying, carry my yoke. Take my yoke and place it upon your shoulders. Right? It doesn't sound very restful. And you see, what Jesus is implying, what he's communicating is that every single person were already carrying a yoke of some kind. Various yokes that are, we are carrying with us. The question is, whose yoke are we carrying? Now, in the early days, this yoke was often used as a metaphor to describe being a subject of another, to be under the control or influence or authority of someone else. 
And for these first century Jewish individuals, they would often refer to the Old Testament law as a yoke that they needed to carry. And Jesus understood that when they took the law and they piled on the traditions and the expectations and the rules and regulations of the Pharisees and the religious leaders, that that became a weight that was extremely heavy and burdensome. Something humanly impossible for them to, to fulfill. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 23, 2-4, referring to the Pharisees. It says, They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. So Jesus knew that the kind of weight that the people were carrying. And what's interesting is Jesus doesn't say, Come to me and I will remove all your yokes. Come to me and I will set you free from anything that is weighing you down. It says, come to me and take my yoke. See, what Jesus is communicating is that we cannot experience true rest on our own. That true rest only comes through him. Jesus also doesn't equate rest with the absence of effort or the absence of work. Instead, he equates rest with trusting him, following him, obeying him, learning from him. He says, I am gentle and humble in heart, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, I don't know many people that would ever say that following Jesus is easy. But that's what Jesus is communicating. He says, in comparison to the expectations of everyone else in comparison to the expectations of the world, religious leaders, culture, society, whatever it might be, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Now for us today, we don't have the yoke of the Old Testament law or the Pharisees weighing on our shoulders. But there are plenty of voices There are plenty of leaders, there are plenty of influencers in our world today that are constantly telling us, instructing us on how to live a better life. Certain expectations to meet, suggestions to follow, standards to strive by, guidelines to live by, accomplishments to attain, relationships to relish, safety nets to secure. Right? If you don't do this, if you do this, if you do that, if you accomplish this, if you attain these things, you'll be happier. Your life will be more fulfilling. You'll be more satisfied. Right? If you can get into this kind of school, if you can get this kind of job, if you can live in this certain area, if you can save up this amount of money, if you experience these kinds of joys, your life will be better. And while these things may not be bad in and of themselves, each one of them has the potential to be a yoke placed upon our shoulders. Right? You see, anything that we feel like we have to do in order to have a better life is technically a yoke that is exerting its power, its influence, its authority over our lives. And thus, it shouldn't be a surprise that that many of us, 
We live each day feeling like there's so much more to do than we have time for. There's so much more to accomplish than we have energy for. There's so much more that we need to experience that we have the resources for. Thus, we live in a culture that values hard work, productivity. The more you can do, the better. The more you can output, the more you can produce, the better off you are, the better you are. And that's a lot of us, right? Any given day, how, how do we feel? We're, we're, we're busy, right? You, you, we talk to one another, we're like, hey, how are things going? It's really good, but we're just, we're busy, nonstop, A to B, B to C, running around, here to there, right? And there's something intrinsic inside of us that kind of tells us that it's better to be busy than, than not busy. Because sometimes we assume that the opposite of busy is lazy and we don't want to be lazy. And thus to, to be tired and exhausted and maybe cranky and grumpy and impatient, it's become normal. Right? The only time we're not those things is when we're on vacation. Right? When we take a pause from the, the busyness of life. I know for me at the end of each month, when I, I look at the hours that I worked for that month, there's just something in me that feels better about myself when the number is higher rather than when it's lower. And even though I'm exhausted and even though I may be tired and drained and burnt out, I feel good that I put in a lot of hours. I feel not so good when there's not so many hours. And it's only recently that I begin to, to question, like, why is that? Is that true? Is it normal to be tired and exhausted? Is it normal to be busy and, and overwhelmed, weary and burdened? Is this the kind of life that God intended for us? Or are there certain yokes that have been placed upon us that we just weren't meant to carry? And when it comes to like our physical bodies, right? There are certain indicators that tell us whether things are going well or, or not so well. Right? Certain indicators that tell us whether we're, we're healthy or whether there's room for improvement. So when we start to feel aches and pains, we're going to start making these creaking sounds, right? Something you know, begins to tell you, like, okay, like something, something is off. Then there's like measurables like blood pressure, blood pressure, cholesterol, sugar levels that, that also indicate to us how our bodies are doing, whether we're firing all cylinders, whether things are falling apart. Well, the Bible also gives us some indicators to how we're doing spiritually. Things that tell us whether we're doing well or not so well at the soul level, with our inner being. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 21 here Paul says when we're living a life and we're not in alignment with God, when we're not dependent on the Holy Spirit, when we're relying a little bit too much on the flesh, he says the acts of the flesh are obvious, the sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. So he says when things aren't going well, when we're not in alignment with God or with the Spirit, you know, there's a heightened sense of sin and temptation. There's things like anger and bitterness, resentment, 
inability to forgive, there's division, there's conflict, there's selfishness, there's pride, jealousy, insecurity. Right? Those are indicators that at the soul level, maybe things aren't, aren't going right. We're not doing so well. And then verses 22 to 23, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So these are indicators that things are going well at the, the soul level. That you can tell that spiritually you are in alignment with the Spirit when you are experiencing these things. doesn't mean that we're perfect, but these things are, are evident and obvious in our life. All right, so one question we need to consider as we embark on this journey is how are we, we doing when it comes to the soul level, to our spiritual well-being? Now, just to be clear, I'm not saying that every time something is off, the solution is rest. You're cranky? Rest. Angry? Rest. No joy? Rest. It may entail that, but I'm not saying it's always. But when things are, are not going well, when we can identify that at the soul level we're struggling, then, then perhaps we need whatever Jesus is offering, whatever he wants to give us. Psalm 23, verses 1 to 4. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. See, what the psalmist communicates, that it is God who leads us to green pastures. He is the one who lies us down near still waters. He is the one who provides strength and comfort in everything that we face. But what's also implied is that as God leads, we, we need to follow. And we need to be able to be willing to follow at the pace, at whatever pace he's leading, to move when he moves, to stop when he stops, to remain still until he begins to move again. And the reality is that there may be certain risks when we choose to follow Jesus and to go at the pace that he goes at. There may be the possibility that as we slow down to rest, that others from a worldly sense, they get ahead. And we fall behind. You see, for this first century audience who's listening to Jesus saying, come to me, for every single person that went to Jesus, from a worldly sense, their lives didn't get easier. Their lives didn't get better. Many of them struggled. Many of them suffered. But what they received, what they were guaranteed, was Jesus. A relationship with him and rest for their souls. You know, when my kids were younger, and um, even to this day, actually, 
You know, there'll be times where they're like sitting on the couch or at the table and they're either doing work or maybe they're just watching TV and it's clearly obvious that they're tired. You know, their, their heads are they're, they're kind of bobbing and, and you can just see that they're exhausted and, and you can feel that they're tired because they're cranky and they're irritable and, you know, and we'll just kind of mildly suggest like maybe you should take, take a nap. And they'll look at us as if we just suggested the dumbest idea, you know, in the world. Like, no time for, for a nap. And their response, a lot of just, no. Too busy. Too much work to do. I got to finish this. Or the flip side of it is like, it's boring. You know, I don't want to miss out on the fun. I don't want to miss out on the show that I'm watching. And even though we think, if you just take a nap, I think you'll probably be able to get more work done. You'll be able to enjoy it even more. Ultimately, say, well, it's up to you, whether you want to, to, to rest or not. You know, for us today, the, the reason why we're, we're doing this series is because we believe that many of us, we are more tired and exhausted and weary than, than, we, than we realize. I think if you were to ask the people around you, the people closest to you, they could probably see it. They could probably feel it. And to us that are weary, to us that are burdened, to us that feel like we are just overwhelmed by the expectations and the pressures of life, Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. So this series is not about us telling you to take a nap. This is about Jesus inviting you to draw near to him and to receive and experience all that he wants to give. And yes, this is going to require faith, stepping into a level of mystery and uncertainty, but to believe with confidence that in light of who Jesus is, in light of all that Jesus has done, in light of our need for him, that this rest that he is offering is a rest that is worth pursuing. Will you pray with me?